As we turn to the scriptures today, let's turn again to the book of Daniel, chapter 7. In our journey through this wonderful book, we have come to this part of the book of Daniel. One way of dividing the book of Daniel is to divide it right in the middle between chapters 6 and 7. And it's a natural division because chapters 1 through 6 deal with various historical events in the life of Daniel as he relates to the kingdom of Babylon and the king and as his three friends relate to that and also as he then relates to the new king, King Darius and Cyrus of Persia. Beginning with Daniel chapter 7, things change. Now Daniel writes down for us a series of vision dreams that God gave to him. And really chapter 7, if we were to put it chronologically in the book, would come before chapter 5. This vision that Daniel had in verse 1 of chapter 7 came to him in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, And that would probably be 553 BCE. So Daniel has been in exile for some 50 plus years. If he was carried away to Babylon at, say, age 15, then at this point in his life, he would be about 67 years old. This Account that he is going to write out for us of this dream and vision that he had from the Lord is very much parallel to chapter 2, the vision dream that was given to King Nebuchadnezzar early on in, in Daniel being there in Babylon. And that probably happened almost 50 years prior to this vision. And another way, therefore, that we could look at dividing the book of Daniel would be to consider chapter 1 as an introduction and then to consider chapters 2 through 7 as kind of tandem statements. Chapter 2 combining with chapter 7, chapter 3 with chapter 6, and chapter 4 and chapter 5. But however we divide the book. Today we come to this this vision and dream that God gave to Daniel. And as we dig into this part of God's word, let's bow together and ask for his help and insight. Father, your spirit prompted Daniel to write all this down. You are the one who gave this dream to Daniel. And you did it not because you were hiding something, but because you were revealing something. And today, we trust by your Spirit that you will continue that work of revealing for our good and encouragement and for your glory in Yeshua's name. Amen. So Daniel chapter 7 and verse 1. Daniel says that he had a dream and a vision, visions of his head while on his bed. And then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. The Spirit of God gave the dream and the Spirit of God helped him remember the main points 
of what he spoke to Daniel. In verse 2, Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this... I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there, in this horn, were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. This is the first part of the vision dream that Daniel had. The stirring of the sea, the great sea, the four winds of heaven stirring up the great sea. And to this speaks in Scripture of the sea of humanity. If we turn to Isaiah chapter 17, Isaiah 17 and verse 12, Isaiah writes, Woe to the multitude of many people who make a noise like the roar of the seas and to the rushing of the nations that makes a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. The nations will rush like the rushing of many waters, but God will rebuke them and they will flee far away and be chased like the chaff on the mountains before the wind, like the rolling thing before the whirlwind. Isaiah, inspired by God, saw that the mass of humanity is like a turbulent sea, fallen, broken humanity like a great, turbulent, chaotic sea. This is spoken of in other places in Scripture. And it's a picture of, of the, the end times also in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 13, John was given a vision. Chapter 13 and verse 1, John writes, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads were a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled. 
and followed the beast. In chapter 17 of the Revelation, verse 15, Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And so the scripture pictures the mass of humanity as a great chaotic sea churning up. Isaiah in another place says that its waters cast up mud and mire and there is no peace. And so the great sea pictures humanity and out of that arise four great beasts. Later on we'll find that these are kings and kingdoms. Kings over kingdoms. And these match up with the dream vision that was given to Nebuchadnezzar, which God enabled Daniel to interpret back in chapter 2. If you remember back in chapter 2, that vision pictured these, these four empires coming. And they were pictured in the form of a large statue, a golden head, arms and chest of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron and toes of iron mixed with clay. Those are corresponding with these same things revealed here to Daniel. The first beast was like a lion. It had wings, verse 4. And I watched till its wings were plucked off. And it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. This seems to accurately correspond with the golden head and describing especially King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. It seems to picture that moment in Nebuchadnezzar's life when he was arrogant and he was caused to become like an animal and eat grass for a period of time. His wings, as it were, were plucked off. And then there came the moment when he looked up to heaven and acknowledged God. And in, a, in essence, a man's heart was given to him in those moments. That he became truly alive through a relationship with God. And so this first beast, like a lion with wings, pictures the Babylonian empire. And then the second beast that comes up is like a bear. And it's raised up on one side. It's almost like one side is lifted higher than the other. And this seems to indicate very clearly the Medo-Persian Empire, which followed Babylon, with the, with the Persian side of things being greater than the Mede side of things. And the, the ribs between the teeth seem to picture the conquest that happened. They were told, this animal was told to arise and devour much flesh, and surely the Medo-Persian Empire did that as far as conquests. And perhaps these three ribs correspond with the three main conquests that happened. In 546, the conquest of Lydia. In 539, the conquest of Babylon. In 525, the conquest of Egypt. And then, the next vision in verse 6, the next part of the vision I looked, and there was another like a leopard, another beast, 
a leopard that had four wings like a bird and also four heads. It's important as we continue to read and meditate on this, that little four-letter word, like, is so important. Because God is saying, he's, God is painting a picture. God is painting a picture of a reality that is really beyond a thorough description, and yet he's able to condense it so well by this picture. A leopard, a carnivorous animal, swift, and made even more swift by these four wings. And we know that this corresponds with the, with the thighs of bronze in the statue, and it corresponds to the Greek empire. It is well known that Alexander's conquest of the world came swiftly. And when he reached his 30s, it was said that he said he wept because there was nowhere else to conquer. He had conquered things so swiftly. And yet, at that age, at that young age, Alexander died. And four of his generals took over the kingdom which seemed to correspond to these four heads. And then, after the Greek Empire, there comes an empire that is described in a beast that is unlike anything the world has ever seen. In verse 7, after this, Daniel in the night saw a dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong beast. It had iron teeth, And later on, we'll find out that it had bronze claws. It was devouring and breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. And it was different. It had ten horns. And then one of the horns, another horn grew up and uprooted three of the horns and took over the whole thing, speaking pompous, arrogant words. A mysterious creature but terrible and strong. And it seems to correspond with the iron legs of the statue in the Roman Empire. And that there is a residual Roman Empire that will last even till the end of time. Well, Daniel sees this this amazing vision. And we standing 2,500 years later in history can see that it is unfolded just as Daniel was told. And it becomes for us, as it was for him, a great encouragement. It's not just simply a history lesson, but this helps us to see that God is in control of history. That history is not just happening haphazardly. That we are not just pawns subjected to the power of governments that can be evil or maybe occasionally can be good. But this helps us to see that God knows what's going on and that actually God is in control. Those five little words can always be so helpful and encouraging to us in any time in history. God has everything under control. God gave this same vision to Nebuchadnezzar early, right after the first exile, 
right after Daniel and his friends had come to Babylon. Can you imagine being carried away? Can you imagine an invader coming to Canada and carrying you off to a place away from your home, away from your place of worship, away from family and friends? And there you had to grow up in a foreign culture, away from all that was familiar to you. Daniel had been carried away, and yet God gave that vision to Nebuchadnezzar and gave the interpretation to Daniel so that he would see that God was under control. And then once again, once this wicked ruler Belshazzar came to power, At the beginning of his reign, as Daniel saw things going downhill, most certainly, again, God comes on the scene to give Daniel and the people of God and the people throughout the people of God throughout history a wonderful encouragement to say, I know what's going on and I am in control of the affairs of this world. And then the next part of the vision in verse 9 This is my favorite part. Some people have called Daniel 7 the most important chapter in all of Scripture. I watched till thrones were put in place. And the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Glory. To read this at any given moment in world history, what a glorious encouragement this is. Daniel watched and thrones were put in place. Do you know what strikes me about that? Peace. Calm. It's such a contrast to the churning of the sea and the rising of beastly leaders and beastly kingdoms, you have calm and peace and elegance and beauty. This part of the vision, Daniel writes it in poetry. It's elegant. It's glorious. When God is in control, it's glorious. It's the opposite of what so many people in our world think. That God is out to ruin people. That God is out to take away all of the fun in life. Nothing could be further from the truth. It is only when God is in charge and we acknowledge that. And when we walk in that, that we find joy and peace and life. 
The thrones were put in place. And the Ancient of Days, with great dignity, comes and takes his seat. His garments white, pure, righteous. His hair like pure wool, full of wisdom and the glory, all the blessing, insight and wisdom that a person with many years would have. And his throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire, and a fiery stream issued and came forth from before it. Our God is a consuming fire. Our God is pure and holy. Our God is the only righteous and true judge. And he is seated on the throne of the universe. And thousands upon thousands minister him to, to him 10,000 times 10,000 without number. Idioms showing that there's no number to this great multitude that are in court, in court with him. The court is seated and the books are opened. God keeps track of everything thoroughly and accurately, whether he has real physical books. I've often thought that these books were perhaps our brains that record everything. However it is that God has it, he has a thorough knowledge of everything that's going on, that ever has gone on, that ever will go on. He knows everything. And he is in charge, seated on the throne of the universe. I love that ancient of days. It reminds me of Psalm 90, from everlasting to everlasting You are God. It doesn't mean that God is old. It means that He is eternal. The Ancient of Days, what a beautiful picture of our God. Gloriously white and pure and holy and righteous. And this next picture in verse 11, this little horn that comes up and speaks blasphemous words, pompous words, arrogant words, It reminds me of a child in the terrible twos. Have you had children? They call two-year-olds in that two-year phase the terrible twos for a good reason. It it reminded me, I I heard of a little boy one time. His, His mom made him sit on a chair in a corner because of something wrong he had done. And he'd said, I may be sitting on this chair, but inside I'm standing up. (laughs) We've been around little children who exerted their full will against wise and good parents and adults. Haven't you been around those? And we understand that. Part of that is a child asserting their independence and their will. But part of it, it's, it's showing us that that fallen nature that's in a person, that's in every human being that's been born since the time of Adam and Eve's fall. That that human nature to be in rebellion. And it's, it's comical when you see a little person stand defiantly against an adult, isn't it? It's, it's just, it can get comical. And it's sad at the same time. And good parents love and administer 
proper correction and guidance and discipline. But that's, that's what this scene reminds me of. This little horn, this arrogant world ruler who has a lot of political power. I would suggest that this person is probably the same person as the man of lawlessness that Shaul describes in the second letter to the Thessalonians chapter 2. I think this is probably the anti-Messiah, that world ruler that is yet to come. And yet before the living God of the universe, if I may be so bold to say he is a little pipsqueak, that God brings forward the books, sets the court, and says, okay, that's enough. And he watches, Daniel watches, and this beast is slain, his body destroyed, and he's put into the flames. That's his end. All of the, the world empires, the beasts, are removed of their power. And just like in the statue, then comes one like a son of man. The statue image vision that was given to Nebuchadnezzar a rock not carved with human hands came and hit the statue on the feet and the kingdoms crumbled and became like dust on the threshing floor and were blown away like chaff. Verse 13, Daniel was watching in the night and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days And they brought him near before him. And to the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve, worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. These beastly kingdoms are temporary. This kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. This is a kingdom that will last forever and ever. Daniel, in verse 15, says that he was grieved in his spirit within his body, and the visions in his head troubled him. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this, so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. In his vision dream, Daniel saw a heavenly being right there. And he went up to him and asked for insight. And here's the answer that this heavenly being gave. Verse 17, those great beasts, which are four, are four kings with kingdoms which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Isn't that glorious? Two sentences, God wraps up world history from 550 B.C. to eternity. Count on God to be able to be concise and yet pack everything into it. You know, I was just meditating on, on those verses, thinking about this book. And there are moments where 66 books about God seems so small. Do you you find that? The longer I live, the more I read this book, sometimes I think, 
God, it just seems like, why didn't you put more? And there are other times where it seems like this is so deep, it will take all eternity to know this. And that's just like God. God is able to say something glorious and complex in such a concise, crisp, clear way. These beasts, they're four kingdoms. But in the end, the saints, the people of God, get everything. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You see, when you and I attach ourselves to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, we have also, by faith, entered into the kingdom that will never end. And it is a glorious kingdom. It is a good kingdom. It is a kingdom that is led by this one called the Son of Man. Who is that? The Son of Man. Well, let's, let's take a, a short survey. Let's turn to John chapter 1. Yeshua comes on the scene. He's calling men to follow Him. John chapter 1. Let's begin with verse 43. The following day, Yeshua wanted to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Yeshua of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Yeshua saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Yeshua answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Yeshua answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And Yeshua said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And then, chapter 3, verse 11. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. And then, chapter 6. Chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000. And as the crowds come and clamor for Yeshua, wanting a king who can provide food, Yeshua writes, says in verse 27, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. In Mark Chapter 2, when Yeshua had healed the lame man, he said, the Son of Man has authority to forgive. In Mark chapter 10, he talks about how the Son of Man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve. 
In Luke 19, when he met up with Zacchaeus, he said, after that encounter and Zacchaeus turning to him, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And then in Matthew 17, he predicted his death and he said, the Son of Man will be delivered, killed, raised from the dead. And then Mark chapter 14 As Yeshua is standing trial before the religious leaders, Mark chapter 14 and verse 60, the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Yeshua, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed? Yeshua said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. And indeed, Yeshua would have been deserving of death, taking on the title Son of Man, if he had not been who he claimed to be. But he is who he claimed to be. The Son of Man is a title for Messiah. Back in Daniel chapter 7, look at that. One like the Son of Man came, and he came with the clouds of heaven. Clouds are a picture of the presence of God himself. He came to the Ancient of Days. He did not fall down before the Ancient of Days in worship. He did not come as Isaiah had come, saying, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. He came boldly, freely, before the Ancient of Days, brought him near, and he was given dominion and glory and kingdoms, peoples, nations, languages, and he was given that all should serve him. That word serve also includes worship. This Son of Man is none other than the Messiah, Yeshua. Fully human and fully God. This is the one who has control over, is the king over this kingdom that shall not be destroyed. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Isaiah says that the government is on his shoulders and there shall be no end to his kingdom and his rule. The Son of Man, before the Ancient of Days, is given the kingdom and the kingdom will be given to the saints. Now Daniel, in verse 19, after this glorious vision, he is... Troubled, he wished to know about the fourth beast because it was so different from all the others. It was dreadful. Teeth of iron, nails of bronze, devoured broken pieces, trampled with residue with its feet, ten horns that were on its head, the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, 
And that same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. You see, I think perhaps that's what troubled Daniel so much. Daniel, in love with God, walking with God all these years, was grieved over what had happened to his people. That the Jewish people had gone into exile. And his concern and love was for his people. And to see the people of God coming to a place where they were being persecuted like this grieved him deeply and he wanted to know what was going on. And then God showed him that that there would be war against the saints. There would even be prevailing against them until, verse 22, the Ancient of Days came and judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. So the person says to Daniel, this fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it and break it to pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom and another shall arise after them. And he shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and law Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But, I love that three-letter word. But, the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy forever. And then, the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to us the people, the saints of the Most High. There's nothing better than for you and I to be in this kingdom. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him, and it will be delightful because He is a good and benevolent King whose command is love and whose ways are righteousness and peace forever. In the midst of that, there is even more encouragement. Terrible times will happen to the saints. We have experienced some of that in our day. And yet, it is for a time, times, what would you expect? It's like, time is one, times is two, what's next? Three. But that's not what happens. What's next? Half. God cuts short this terrible evil. God is merciful in the midst of the most terrible evil. In fact, Yeshua said that this time would be cut short for the sake of the elect. What a glorious gift it is that God gave this vision to Daniel and the Spirit of God enabled him to remember it and to write it down and to preserve it. The Spirit of God has preserved it these 2,500 years. So that you and I this morning could delve into this. While there are questions, details that we may not know, there is enough here that we can see with absolute certainty that it brings great joy and encouragement to our souls. Why does does God give us this picture? Well, I, I was thinking of the various places in Scripture that talk about God speaking in advance Isaiah says that God makes the 
begin it, the end known from the beginning so that we would know that he is God. Only God knows the beginning and the end all at once. And not only that, only God is completely in charge. Then on that last night, Yeshua was on earth as he was meeting in the upper room with his disciples, with his followers. He said to them, these things I have spoken unto you that you should not be made to stumble. It's so helpful for us to see that following God on this earth may not be rosy. It may not be free of of harm and pain. It may not even be free of an early death or a painful death. But the reality is, it will be worth it all. And in the end, you and I get everything. Missionary Jim Elliott made the statement in his life, He who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose is no fool. You and I can afford to suffer a little while because we will have an eternity to enjoy ourselves. You and I will be given the kingdom. And in fact, even now, we are walking in the kingdom with the king who is with us in the presence of, through the presence of his spirit. We have a glorious hope. Shaul said that, that the resurrection, the, the giving of the kingdom, the resurrection to life is something that the return of the Lord is something that you and I speak to comfort each other and encourage each other. When the times get the darkest, that's when this chapter shines the brightest. The end, verse 28, this is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me. My countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. And Daniel went on to live through the end of the Babylonian Empire and into the Medo-Persian Empire, continuing to bear witness to the greatness of our God. Thank God that He has given us this glorious vision that you and I inherit the kingdom and serve the Son of Man forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, thank You for showing us what will happen. Thank you for showing us the hope that we have. Oh, Father, bind our hearts to yourself ever more deeply. Help us to see you high and lifted up, exalted on the throne, the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man, ruling over the universe. And be reminded that one day with absolute certainty we will share glory with you forever and ever and ever. May that put a spring in our step. May that infuse our souls with fresh strength. May that give us the courage and the joy that we need to keep on keeping on. To your glory and honor in Yeshua's name. Amen.